Thanks for listening to the Best of Coast to Coast podcast and become a Coast Insider to hear the rest of this fascinating conversation and check out recent shows featuring guests sharing stories about growing up in a haunted house that was possessed by an evil presence, a nightmarish encounter with a UFO in the dead of night, and the financial horror stories from those who won the lottery and lived to regret it. Head on over to coasttocoastam.com and sign up for Coast Insider to hear these programs and many more truly thought-provoking shows from coast to coast. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. As you remember, I was working that first Sunday, as I do all the time, and while I was on the air, producer Tom Danheiser got a hold of me and said, uh, George, there's something going on in Las Vegas. There's some kind of shooting or so, or so. Do you want to say anything about it? And I said, Tommy, we need a little more information on that, and we have to verify something. We really didn't know what was going on at the time. So as he continued to check, we found out that the situation in Las Vegas was getting worse uh, that somebody was shooting down at people, and originally we had heard that two people had died and a dozen people had been injured. Well, subsequently, as you well know, 58 people have died and nearly 500 people were injured. Today, legal action following the mass shooting at a Las Vegas concert, picking up with lawsuits filed on behalf of 14 concert goers, including some who were shot or injured trying to escape, and one woman who was so traumatized she has since mistaken the sound of rain for gunshots, and she just can't handle it. Now, the person who apparently did all this, and he's dead now, was a fellow by the name of Stephen Paddock. He was up in a suite on the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. He was a heavy gambler, and he frequented casinos throughout Nevada. A couple days ago, I got a phone call from an individual, and I'm only going to give you his first name, John. He was a casino host at a casino in Reno, Nevada, several years ago, and was the casino host for Stephen Paddock. I'm bringing John on the air now. John, thank you for joining us tonight. Oh, you're welcome, George. Thanks for having me. A casino host, of course, is is hired by the casino to handle people, high rollers, because they want them to keep coming back to the casino to gamble, right? Yes, that's correct. And in this, yeah, one of the uh, things that we do is uh, we uh, we're basically a glorified reservationist. We're, we're a handler. We basically make anything within reason. Uh, within the law, we make anything happen for them that will entice them to keep coming in. How were you assigned, or how did you get Stephen Paddock as a client at the I casino? I believe initially uh, Mary Lou, uh, which uh, became Stephen Paddock's girlfriend, um, you know, I worked day shift during that time, and Mary Lou as well worked day shift. And I believe she came over um, and introduced me to him. And at the time, she was. Uh, working with our players club and would sign people up that didn't have a player's card currently in the machine. So she would sign them up and then she'd be the liaison between them, the casino and myself. Was he, was he a nice guy? What was he like to you? He was very, uh, very quiet, very standoffish at first. And, uh, you know, I, I had several dealings with Stephen over a couple year period of time. And, uh, you know, just, not a man of many words. Um, you know, I would, 
Uh, I, I would almost say he was, you know, antisocial. They say uh, he was. Uh, uh, they say they say Johnny was pretty wealthy and gambled a lot. Did he at the time? Yeah, he he uh, he had a lot of money. Um, and how we you know figure that out, of course, is the denomination that they're playing and the average time that they're playing per day. And you know, comparable to my other VIPs, he was probably, you know, I would say not the wealthiest, of course, of the players that we have. But uh, maybe a step down from the wealthiest. Um, but a man that could play 700 to 1,000 hands per hour um, at a pretty high denomination. And in your dealings with him over the course of time, and how long was that? Over a, a few uh, years? I would say over a couple of years. Okay, over a few years. Did you see anything that would lead you to believe? that this guy would go nuts and shoot people the way he did in Las Vegas. No, and I, and I wish there was some sort of precursor, because I, I would have done something to try and stop it, of course. But no, he he definitely, um, you know, the word that I would say best describes Stephen would be uh, astute. Um, you know, he's very intelligent, and he came across that way. And he would always play the machines that had the highest percentage paybacks of all of our all of our poker machines. So that's one indication. And just the way he, he played his mannerisms were very meticulous and almost kind of, you know, robot like, and he would, uh, in no time he could go through, you know, a lot of hands of poker. Um, but, uh, I would say astute would probably be the best, uh, description uh, that I could find for him. Did you like him, John, as a person? No, not at all. But of course, my job is to like everybody. So, um, you know, a couple of times uh, he had ordered food and uh, it didn't get to him quick enough. And of course, you know, he would put me in my place and let me know that, you know, he, he'll go to somebody else if he has to, to get what he needs done. Jeez. Now, and, uh, you know, I know I did not like the guy at all. On that, um, on that horrible night in October when this happened, you were talking to your wife while you were watching this, and what were you saying? You knew something about, you didn't know who was up there, but you knew something. Oh, I did. I, I told my wife when this was going down, I believe it was Sunday evening, the following morning, Monday early, um, they were showing the windows. I noticed that they weren't far from the top floor where the penthouse rooms are, and I knew, I told my wife, I said, I know this guy, or I know another host that knows this guy. You know, these VIPs, they circulate through all the casinos. They, uh, only a small percentage really make one casino their, their home, and they do move around from casino to casino, of course, to earn as many comps as they can at each place because they eventually will max out how much they can earn at one, one establishment. So they'll move around. <clears throat> what do you think, John, might have been the motive for him to do this? Well, I, I've given this a lot of thought. And if I'm a, a host, that are the means to get him just about anything that he wants. Um, I mean, anything uh, within, you know, within the confines of law. Yeah. Um, and he treats me like I'm worthless. You know, I, I can't imagine these people to him were, they, they weren't even worth throwaway cards to him. I mean, they were just a means, I think, to a, to a rush that he may not have been able to get by playing. And, you know, a lot of the players, what they do is it's not losing the money. When I heard that he had had a lot of losses, that means almost nothing to me. 
Um, he has a lot of money, and he uh, he's not broke. And until the player is broke, they're not destitute. Right. They think as long as they have a you know a, a chip and a and a seat, they can work their way back. So when when I thought about this, um, if he hadn't hit a lot of jackpots recently mm-hmm. um, to inflate his ego, he would find a way to try to inflate that. And I think that's what he did. Do you think this was a rush up there? He had a, it was Correct. just. He was so deflated, probably by not hitting any jackpots that are substantial. Um, and he needed to inflate his ego somehow. And I think that's how he chose to do it. Well, I tell you, police are just baffled looking for a motive for him. Uh, you've been approached by the FBI. Uh, yeah. You've been approached by the major television networks. Uh, but you've decided you wanted to come out on, on this program. Tell me why. Well, I can tell you. I mean, I've, they've tried to get me to go on 2020. They, they've, they've tried everything, ABC, NBC, CBS, AP. I mean, they've been at my door. And there's not a lot of people in the media that I trust. I mean, I, I would say maybe one other name besides yours, and you're at the top of the list. So I, I just wanted to, you know, give as much information as I can to the families, they deserve to know every little nuance um, of this guy, no matter what it is. And um, I, I knew that you would you would not distort the truth, and uh, you would treat me very fairly. Absolutely. So that's why that's why I, I spoke to you, John. What about the girlfriend? You, you knew her. Uh, what did you think of this situation? Do you think she might have known anything about this before it happened? No, I, I, I don't think so. And, I, I, you know, I've thought about that a lot, too. Now, her job was a lot like mine. She was she was paid to basically keep an eye on her high, v, high rollers or VIPs in the high limit area. And that's whether they need a new drink, their drink's getting low, do they need food, do they need to get, you know, a hand pay on a jackpot. She is paid to observe players from a distance without being in their face or being noticed. So when they, they uh, when the media and the police department had mentioned, you know, did you know about the guns? Well, I would almost 100 percent, 100 percent feel that she probably knew that he had guns. Um, but being involved, I really don't think that she was. Um, her demeanor, she was very sweet, very nice. Didn't want to offend anybody. And I know initially they thought that. She might have been more involved because I guess they found her ID or mm-hmm. players' cards in the room. And the answer to that, a lot of people don't know this, but the reason for that is he was probably in-house um, in the reservation under her name because of her comps that were earned under her players' card. Uh-huh. So you've got to have her ID and players' card to be able to use that offer. So that is why there was... Some misunderstanding about the room situation. John, did he ever, when you were dealing with him, talk about guns or anything like that, or 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 politics, his views on anything? You know, I gave that a lot of thought too, and I I I, I came up with nothing. He was just a man of very few words, and you know, a couple of times we locked eyes when I was sitting with another guest, and it was almost a you know a staring contest, and of course. I was going to let him win because it's not my job to, you know, win those kind of battles with guests. So, um, but I, you know, sitting with other guests, um, 
in the area, I had an opportunity to observe the guy um, because one of my guests, that is 10 times the player he is, mm-hmm. um, allotted me the privilege to be able to sit with her for hours upon hours each day. So I sat just a few uh, chairs down from where Stephen was located, and um, the kind of, uh, he never spoke anything about politics or guns, anything like that, but he did definitely give out some pretty bad vibes. I would see people sit down next to him and get up, people that I know that would usually sit at a machine for an hour once they sit down, and they would get up and leave after like two minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I had one guest that literally turned around and whispered in my ear and said, that guy gives me the creeps. That's weird. The sweetest lady ever, and she has never said anything unkind about anybody as long as I've known her. When you found out that it was Stephen Paddock, what did you first think? You know, I I really wasn't that. So I was surprised at the um, at the the mass shooting itself. The carnage, right? The carnage. I was completely just. I I didn't. I couldn't understand that. But what I could understand is Stephen wanting people to know who he is, and you know, the way he looked, the way he dressed. There was nothing that said, look at me, you know, I'm a big shot. He never was like that. But mentally, he was always, he seemed always trying to challenge people. And, uh, you know, always wanted people to know or to think that he's the guy. What a horrible moment. It was very horrible. Very horrible. If at any time you would have gotten any inclination, any feeling, any thought that this guy was capable of doing this, what would you have done? Oh, I would have contacted my director immediately. Um, And, I mean, if that didn't work, I would have taken it to our GM and then our owner. I would have taken it to the board. Um, You know, I I run across people that have um, indications that maybe they're they're not all there. And I've dealt with people like that over my career. But Stephen never threw off anything that said to me that he was aggressive in the sense that he'd be aggressive physically. But he was aggressive mentally, I could tell. Did you ever see him truly depressed? No, no. He was, uh, his uh, manner, is, he was very, uh, he was like a stone statue at times. He would just like sit there, very upright, very stiff, very stern. And when he looked at you, he was trying to penetrate you. He was trying to penetrate your mind, trying to see where you are. Um, and why are you looking at him? Was he a heavy drinker, John? Um, I, I, I would say a light drinker. It makes no sense, does it? It does not. And I, I told the FBI, I said, you guys probably are not going to find a motive. I, I never seen him with friends, never seen him with family. Um, he was a man of very few words. And I knew I knew what he was like. Uh, you know, I'm paid to to get to know people, to read people. And he was an easy read to me in the sense that um, I could tell what he liked, what he didn't like. I didn't come by and say, hi, Stephen, every time I saw him because he wouldn't like that. Um, but one thing I couldn't read is, you know, something like this. There were, there were some people who were on the ground level who claimed that there were other shooters on the ground. I don't, I don't believe that. I, I don't accept that. What are your thoughts about that possibility? I, I, I don't for a second. I think Stephen uh, 
But for one thing, if he had planned on taking his own life, which I, I think he did, um, he would not want to go down to somebody who needed help. Um, he would be a guy that would want full credit for what he has done. He would not want to share it in any way. This is a tragedy for the rest of your life, John. You will always remember, especially with the understanding that uh, you knew this this individual. Yeah, I know. I, I, I wish I could go back in time and just keep him from coming in and report his name. I mean, I, I wish, I hope time travel, uh, you know, really, you know, comes into to our being because I would go back and I would say something and stop this guy. All right, John, I want to thank you for uh, coming forward to tell us this remarkable story uh, of your relationship with Stephen Paddock, the apparent shooter. I say apparent because he killed himself and uh, he was never convicted, but, uh, you know, everybody believes he was indeed the shooter up there. Tragic story. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.